listening to an audiobook read by the author, which was a treat because you get to hear what he really was trying to say that way. It was written by a man named Nabil Qureshi, and the book is called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And I got to listen to the part today where he found Jesus. <laughs> and uh, when I think about the lyrics of this song, and I think about the story that I just heard about someone who came out of a system where he was taught that God has no son, that God could not ever become a man, and then realized step by step through comparing both the Bible and the Quran that Jesus makes much, much, much more sense. Right. And he found the answer in the Savior who shed his blood for us. This song means a whole lot. Let's, try, let's sing um, <clears throat> verses 1 and 3 and 4 and 5. So just skip verse 2. 1, 3, 4, and 5. And as we sing, think about these good words in this good song. Yeah. 
good hymn. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews, chapter 11. And then I want to refer to a verse in Titus. And then a verse in Proverbs. So first in Hebrews, chapter 11. The theme for the last few Wednesdays, this is the last Wednesday of the month of August. And I think next week, Wednesday, I might be going to... Another topic, which would be, I'm not sure if I want to do this or not, or continue, but I think if I change my mind, I'll be going to some lessons about the importance of salvation and different aspects of salvation, security of the believer, uh, what's wrong with religion, along that line. And so teach what the Bible says about salvation. The most important thing to anybody is personal salvation, because after all, uh, one day, we will all leave this world. And so the most important thing is to know if we are saved. So some lessons about salvation could be coming up next Wednesday. Tonight, Hebrews 11, verse number 4, the phrase in that verse, He being dead yet speaketh. Tonight I have another gentleman to talk about, and from him, uh, gleaning of his good wise sayings. And I wanted to teach about what these good men of the past uh, wrote and preached because they are gone physically, but their legacy is still moving on. Their word, their teachings, their, their preaching, and their quotations are very helpful for us today. Titus 1.8 says, a lover of good men. And so we should be lovers of good men, meaning people who have been walking with the Lord and they have passed on in this life, but they have left behind words that they have written we see their sermons, we read their books, and it is still fresh and helpful to us today. So they be gone, they're dead, but yet they speak. And if you're a lover of good men, you'll continue to grow and continue to learn and continue to be wise. Proverbs 22, verse number 17. Proverbs 22, 17. It tells us this. Bow down, down thine ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. So I am as a Christian today, and you as a Christian today, are to hear the words of the wise. And wise men for the month of August has been people that have passed on, but the words remain behind, and we can read them and get a lot of blessings from them. Another preacher that lived not so long ago, he lived up to the year 2005, not so long ago. And he's almost like a contemporary, although he has passed on and has graduated to heaven. Uh, his words still remain in print form, in video form, and in old cassette form even. That's been transferred to CDs, and now it's transferred to, of course, online stuff. So it's good that technology is around. He was married for 54 years. I won't tell you who he is. I'll let you guess. Married for 54 years, a pastor and preacher for 50 years. So quite a good long life he lived to serve the Lord. Um, in the seventh through the ninth grade, you never thought this man would be a preacher. You never thought he'd be a pastor for 50 years because in the seventh through the ninth grade, he was, quote, unruly and belligerent. Unruly and belligerent. His wife later on would say, quote, he had an overdose of courage and the ability to fight with his fists. <laughs> he had this confidence, overdose of courage, and he could fight with his fist. That's what his wife wrote. Her name is Joyce. Now, quote, reputation. 
His reputation was one of the toughest kids in school. He challenged others to fight with him. He became the captain of his high school football championship team, and he got a scholarship to a college. This is the background of the man who I will give some quotes from. Something happened to him that changed his life forever and brought an immediate change in his thinking. There was a revival meeting in a town. His dad was invited by neighbors. His dad went, and this boy went with him. And at 14, they both got saved. His dad walked down the aisle first to get saved, and his son followed, and he made a profession of faith in Christ. Later on, his wife would write this, quote, He often has said that if it were not for Jesus and his transforming grace, that he would not be a nice person to live with and may have even ended up in prison, his wife wrote. Probably true because of his back wanting to fight all the time. He said, as he went to Sunday school and church, in Sunday school, I was asked by the teacher to lead in prayer. I felt so inadequate that I declined. Does that remind you of some Bible character? Just tell about him last Sunday. Moses, I'm not eloquent. And he didn't want to go and become God's leader of the Hebrews out of Egypt. He said, I was so inadequate that I declined. I was not afraid of anything that moved on the football field, but the thought of public speaking and praying was another matter. I did not think of myself as having any verbal gifts at all. Well, that just shows you that what a person thinks about themselves is not what others may recognize, or certainly it's not what God may see in that person. In this young man, it was the raw material of a great preacher and a great pastor in years to come. He took his first church. I'm getting to the quotes he's going to give. He took his first church at the age of 19, just a young man. His wife said, quote, the building was unpainted concrete floors, unpainted cement block walls, rafters cut from rough timber overhead. The building was lighted with bare bulbs dangling by their cords from the ceiling. No running water, no water fountain. Restroom, if someone had to go to the restroom, they had to cross the street to a neighbor's house. <laughs> That's how this man started in the ministry, a very humble beginning. He passed another church in Florida, but then something happened. By mistake, he was called to preach at a church in Tennessee. And he would pastor that church until he would go to heaven. And so he led that church from a membership of 9,000 in 1972. So it's a very large megachurch, a 9,000 membership, 1972 to 29,000 in 33 years. So quite a unique ministry that he had. And the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, was blessed to have Adrian Rogers as the man who gave them the Word of God every week in a very plain and common way. They loved him because he could speak to the people, sound doctrine, no compromise, told the truth in a very gracious, straightforward, plain way so that anyone could get it. Have you noticed that the great men that we read and enjoy they were very sound in their doctrine, but they spoke plainly to the common man, communicated to the common man so they would understand what God was saying. Of all of his accomplishments, I will just hurry up here. Adrian said his greatest joy centered on his relationship with Jesus Christ, his wife and family, and the church he pastored. It sure sounds like he had his priorities in order. 
Sometimes people put the church or the ministry as the first thing in their lives. But he put his relationship with Christ first, and then his wife and family next, and the church he pastored in that order. No wonder he had no scandals in his life and in his ministry. No controversy other than standing for the truth, opposing unrighteousness, opposing evil, and he would fight against that and preach against it. But as far as any personal scandals, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Well, the recipient of many honors and rewards, uh, awards, the best that he got, he said, was this. And this shows what he thought was most important. Of all the accomplishments, degrees that he earned, position that he held, Southern Baptist Convention president for three years, his joy, he said, was centered in his relationship with Christ, family, and church he pastored. But watch this. The most important award he got was on Father's Day when his children gave him uh, a gift and proclaimed him the world's greatest dad and he said that was the greatest thing of all of all the things that he has accomplished that was the best I think that tells you about his heart and his priorities and his values quote his wife said I was always proud to be married to the to this courageous man and that he was others said this about him he was never impressed with himself he never brought attention to himself in any way he was aware that God had done great things through him, but he always gave Jesus the glory. He never compromised on doctrine. Doctrine was his foundation, and applying it to daily life was his gift. People loved his teaching and preaching. It was truthful and very helpful. And we're blessed today or tonight to hear him by the miracle of technology. And of course, his uh, radio and online ministry, Love Worth Finding, is always around. But he being dead, just speak it. Now, here are some quotes I'd like to give to you and some lessons and some scriptures with some quotes that are still true today as it was back when he was alive. Quote, you cannot legislate the poor into prosperity by legislating the wealthy out of prosperity. And that's very deep and it's very true. It still is true today. You cannot pass a law and make the poor become prosperous by legislating, by passing a law, to the wealthy out of prosperity, making the wealthy poor, making the poor wealthy. Wait a minute. What one person receives without working for another person must work for without receiving. The government cannot give to anyone anything that the government does not first take away from somebody else. Oh, so if you get something free, it's not really free because it was taken from somebody else so that you can get it for free. But someone paid for it. Now, I add to this the verse Leviticus 19.13, which says this. Leviticus 19.13. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Don't defraud your neighbor. Don't defraud, don't rob him to give to someone else. Now, remember, in the Old Testament, those who owned land and had crop, when they harvested their crop, this is how they helped the poor, those who could not work or didn't have opportunities like those who had land. They would leave the corners of the field available for the poor to come, and they would cut down and get what they could get. But they had to go and get it. If they were able-bodied, but they didn't have a job, they can go and get the crop from the corners of the field. That was their generosity of the ones who had means. And so charity is in the Bible. Those uh, who were unable to work, 
There is compassion by the church and by Christians and by those who knew God in the Old Testament. Now, in 1 John chapter 3, uh, let me turn there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. Here's what the New Testament says about if you have, you have the privilege and maybe the responsibility as a Christian to help those who have not. 1 John chapter 3, and verse number 17. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. Now keep in mind, Mr. Rogers made a quote that says, you should not take from someone to give to somebody else. So it, it, you know, make it fair. Don't deprive someone who worked hard and take his goods to help somebody else. And then the one who gets it, there's more to this quote, someone who gets that, they expect it without working for it. Now in 1 John 3, 17, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So you have almost a mandate in the New Testament. If you have, you are able to help, share, you should do that. Now, you're not forced to do that. You are encouraged to do that. You're not made by law. Um, to do it but if you have if you have a kind heart you're a christian you may feel like you want to help somebody and if you do well god bless you for that help those and so you really really need um uh, a government agency or some other nonprofit to help those who are without if people who are christians and had would be kind and gracious what they do have to help those who are unable to work for themselves now um he also says this when half of the people get the idea that they do not have to work because the other half is going to take care of them, and when the other half gets the idea that it does no good to work because somebody else is going to get what they work for, that, my dear friend, he says, it's the beginning of the end of any nation. You cannot multiply wealth by dividing it. What is he saying? Don't, don't defraud people who work where you're actually punishing them by taxing them so that it's not worth working. I heard a man say not long ago, he has to work from January to June just to cover his taxes. From July to December, that's his real income. That's a bad thing. When you have to pay so much taxes and you're really working, it's not really yours until half the year is gone. And this is what he's talking about. Don't discourage people from working. Uh, let them... Let them have what they've earned. Don't cheat them out of their earnings and their labor. And so it's discouraging to people. And if people have a you owe me attitude, the rich must pay their fair share, it discourages everyone. People should be responsible. I think that's the tone of what he's trying to say. All right, now, quote, the government cannot give to anybody anything that the government does not first take from somebody else. So do you remember free cell phones? A particular president was giving people free cell phones. <laughs> well, it was free to those who applied for it, but was it really free? Somebody paid for those cell phones for someone to get it free. And so when it's free, free EBT card, free medical, it's costing someone something. Everyone's paying for something. It's just not felt. It's just not seen. Oh, but when, well, uh, but when we have to pay higher grocery bills and higher gas and higher living expenses that's felt for everybody 
because we have to pay for things that are being given free. And Mr. Rogers says, the government cannot give to anybody anything that the government does not first take from somebody else. Very true, very true, very true. And so the only thing that's free to everyone, think about this now, <laughs> the only thing free to anyone, and it's truly free, is salvation. Salvation is full and it is free. There's no works involved. There's no good intentions, no promises to be made and kept, no struggling, striving to have eternal life. It's free. But wait, even though it's free to sinners, it costs someone something so that it can be free. It costs Christ to shed blood. It costs his son, God's son, everything so that we can have it for free. That's called grace. That's called grace and mercy. All right, now, when it comes to this issue of unity, here's what he says. We hear so much talk about let's all get along because Jesus is the most important factor. Jesus is what we center our fellowship around. That may be really, really true in a very real way. However, sometimes people overlook sound doctrine for fellowship. And so here's what he says about that. Quote, it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. I'll read that again. It's better, this sounds harsh, but it's not. It's true. It is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills. That's a very profound truth that he said sometime in his ministry. It's still true today. There are many TV preachers, evangelists, and there are teaching things that's not true from the Bible. And uh, if you go to Justin Peters' website, he'll expose a lot of things. It sounds like he's a nasty, mean guy, but he's not. Uh, his, his basis for exposing false teaching is that he loves the truth. And if a Christian is supposed to love the Word of God, then the Word of God is the most important book. Its words supersede man's words. And the Word of God corrects our errors. And we don't bring the Bible down to our level and, and, and um, teach things to people that they want to hear. We should be teaching the truth. That's what people need to hear, the truth. And so when he talks about unity, it's better to divide by truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills. That's very true. We will always have on television people that teach things that are in error, that are false, but it's very appealing to people. Uh, I'll give an example here. Uh, this example is very common to most of us, but there are prosperity teachers that say if you give to their ministry, God will bless you. They even go so far as to say God will save your unsaved loved ones if you give to our ministry. They even go so far as to say that if you want good health, give to our ministry. There are all kinds of women and men that are teaching things that are so wrong because it's false doctrine, but it's very appealing to the uneducated Christian. And they believe that they will be healed, they'll be healthy, and they'll be wealthy. They'll never get sick. Nothing will go wrong. Everything is great. If they just give, then God will bless you to the point of nothing is ever bad in this lifetime. So when you hear that, you realize... It is a very deceptive thing that they're teaching in the name of Christianity. And so Mr. Rogers says, better to tell the truth 
And better to speak the truth that hurts. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You ever hear people say, no, that's wrong. You ever hear someone say, now this guy said this, this lady preacher said this, and the Bible says this instead. Those people are wrong. Sometimes people say, well, that's being too hard on people. You're not supposed to be critical. But it's better to tell the truth, and people get angry temporarily, and then they check it out. They say, you know what? You were right. I am glad you told me the truth. I was mad at you, but then now I see the truth for myself. And that's what he's talking about. Truth that hurts and then heals. It's better than falsehood that comforts and then kills. Very dangerous to listen to false teaching, but it's so appealing and so soothing and so everybody's for it, but that is wrong. He also said this about faith. A faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. A faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. Uh, Dr. Rogers died of cancer and pneumonia, but he was a man of faith. And his successor at the Bilbo Baptist Church, Dr. Steve Gaines, went to see him, and then he had to leave the room. But he came back, in spite of the nurse's orders. And by that time, um, uh, Adrian Rogers could not hardly, hardly speak, but he just gave a, he came back to look at him, their eyes met, and he gave a thumbs up. Adrian Rogers gave a thumbs up. Before that, a day before perhaps, he could say a few things. He says, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. Even though you have the cancer, it's, it's destroying your body. Well, a faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. He was really saying, not about that particular event, but he was saying that the life of faith is a life of obstacles, hills, mountains, rivers, oceans, valleys, deserts. It's a life of hardship in many cases, and your faith is going to be tested. Well, if there's something real, he says, your faith will be tested. Nothing will always be easy. You'll have these obstacles, you have these challenges, and, and you'll face hardships and failures and disappointments and loss. But a faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. You remember in the Old Testament, one man had a great test of faith. The test of faith was so severe, so extreme, I suppose his friends would have said to Abraham, you no, you didn't hear God. No, no, you, you're wrong, Abraham. You, you, what have you been eating? Maybe you're eating popcorn late at night, and you had something affect your brain. No, it, God did not tell you take your only son and to Mount Moriah. No, He got, but a faith that cannot be tested can't be trusted. And we know the story how it ended. God honored him for his faith. So, unity, faith. Peace, when you have his joy in your heart, quote, when you have his joy in your heart, it doesn't necessarily mean your pain or hurt will be taken away. It means you'll be able to bear it. And that would reflect, I think, although I don't think that was given at the time of his passing, but that would also be applicable to what he went through too. And any Christian who's had hardship and suffering and sorrow uh, will say that they wish it hadn't come to them they wish they had expressed the pain or the hurt. They wish that it would have bypassed them. I'm sure Job would have said, I wish this never happened to me when he was going through it. But 
when you have your his joy in your heart it doesn't necessarily mean your pain or hurt will be taken away which is a good thing to remember when a good christian suffers in this life it's not because necessarily he is sinning not necessarily because he's out of god's will it just could be because of the nature of this life and he goes through things i was listening to a testimony by Joni erickson tara a quadriplegic jumped into a pond as a teenager and she um, forever was changed and uh, she can paint with her with her mouth you know she just must have do that but uh, she went to a healing service I think she went to I, I, I don't know who the healer was but she went to a healing service she and her mother she and her sister and they anxiously waited for the healer to come their way he never did so they left that service very discouraged and disappointed very shocked and very hurt that they didn't have a chance to get healed. And then she learned that her relationship with Christ was the more important thing than her healing. A hard lesson, but if you read her testimony, you know that um, the rest of her life is miraculous, how she uh, has joy in her life and has a strong devotional life. And so peace, when you have his joy in your heart, it doesn't mean your pain or hurt will be taken away. Uh, on that point, a lot of Christians today get mad at God because they have prayed for something. They were very strong in their faith. They believed with all of their heart that the mountain would be removed, but it wasn't. They never got that job. Her husband never did come back. His wife never came back. The kids never came back. The house lost the house. Uh, all these bad things that happened to them, and yet these Christians were sincere in their faith. And they're severely tested, but they experienced the pain and the hurt. Well, fact is, the Christian life has these things happening. And we don't understand everything, but he does say when you have his joy in your heart, it doesn't mean your pain or hurt will be taken away. It means you'll be able to bear it. So a Christian who is tempted to be angry and bitter at God for not answering his prayers or her prayers, needs to remember that in this life we will have tribulation we will have some hurt but be of good cheer overcome the world peace then it says i want to give you this heading keep it simple the heart of the human problem quote agent rogers the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart <laughs> well that's very plain the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart now I don't know if any philosopher or non-Christian psychiatrist, psychologist can come to that conclusion. They might find all kinds of reasons why a person behaves in a certain way. They might go to all kinds of experiments and all kinds of testing to say, this is the problem. Wait a minute, this might be the problem. Well, we're not sure. Maybe it's an overlap of these factors that cause the problem. But the Bible talks about the human heart falling in sin. And Mr. Rogers says the heart of the problem, the human problem, is a problem of the human heart. Solution to crime, solution to crime, is very simple if you think of it. Whenever I see on the videos the short clips about people um, stealing from, I saw a man in Walmart. He had some tool. I think the tool was one of those things that if you're in a car, you want to break the glass on the inside. One of those kind of tools. He was going in a Walmart store. I don't know. See, he was smashing all the jewelry glass. Smashing it. And there was male employees. They were doing this. 
telling customers, stay back, stay back, stay back. Male employees. And all the girls are getting away, women are getting away, and this guy was smashing us, and these guys, big guys are saying, stay back, stay back to the customers. Stay out of his way. Three or four guys come around, they're watching this guy smash the counters made out of glass. I'm thinking, why don't you three or four guys go and tackle him? Tackle him. Give him a headlock. Give him the full Nelson, the half Nelson, and, and twist him like a pretzel or something. Take him down. Call 911. And then he goes around and he walks toward the guy. The guy backs off. The, the guy was, the employee was bigger than this guy. This guy's about six feet tall. This guy's about maybe six feet tall, but he's a wide guy. And he's just backing off. I'm thinking, the solution to some problems is really kind of simple. Really it is. And the, the quote he gives about the heart, that is a broad statement about the problems that people go through and the, the many solutions they try to impose that never work. Uh, I'll give you a more insight about that. I will tell you, if a kid in the neighborhood is smashing car windows with a tool, with a baseball bat, he's nine years old. He's smashing car windows in your neighborhood, on your street. You come out, you say, hey, don't do that. Hey, stop that. And he keeps smashing car windows. You better stop doing that. That's bad. Guy comes out. You know what the guy does? You know what he should do? Go up to that boy, grab his bat, take it from him, grab him. Where do you live? Where do you live? Call 911 or do something like that. Overpower him like that. Show him that you cannot do this. That's a very simplistic way of dealing with that problem. But most problems are, it can be dealt in a very simplistic way. Uh, gun violence, gun violence, vandalism, smash and grab, all these kind of things that go on that are tolerated. The Bible tells us this in 1 Timothy 5.20. 1 Timothy 5.20, about keeping things simple, it says this. Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. What's that about? This is a Christian context. This is about a Christian, uh, a Christian church. Those that sin, elders that sin, church members that sin, them that sin, rebuke before all. If it comes to that, it comes to that. You don't let that person continue in his sin and ruin the testimony of that church. Then the sin rebuke before all, okay? So you stop it. You confront and you stop it. The other thing that happens when that happens, that others may also or also may fear. So applying that principle to the church, applying it to society, if a person breaks the law or breaks the glass or breaks this or robs or steals like that, then you must stop that person from breaking and stealing. Just enforce the law. Just enforce the law. Just enforce the law. Just enforce the law. Keep it simple. Romans 13, 3 tells us, rulers are not a terror to the right, but to evildoers. So with 1 Timothy 5, Romans 13, the rule, the principle should be very simply, if you speed, you get a ticket. Breaking and entering, you get caught, you get busted. Whatever you do that's wrong, you're going to get busted for it and you pay a penalty. And that's a very simple way of dealing with that. So if people are prosecuted 
for their crimes, word gets around on the street, hey, you know something? This mayor means business. Hey, listen, this HPD, they mean business. We, we speed, we monkey around in the car like that on the free, proceed, whatever. We'll get busted, we will get busted. Hey, you guys better watch it, man. It, they didn't bust us before, but now they're cracking down. And when they, you know when they crack down on speeders, on leaky leaky? They have certain times in which they crack down, they get more tickets for speeders coming down. Now when that happens, it causes people to slow down when they come down leaky leaky. But if you never get the police there with a the speedy gun and you're coming down a hill, if you never see that, you're gonna to tend to keep going fast. You're not gonna to tend to slow down. You get overconfident, you're gonna think, ah, no one's there. And all of a sudden you see it, you get a ticket that makes you slow down and be more cautious. You begin to fear the punishment, which is how it's supposed to be. So, simplicity. Keep it simple. He was great at keeping things simple. Now, here's another good quote. Grace, grace is God's acceptance of us. Faith is our acceptance of God accepting us. <laughs> Sounds like double talk, but it's not. Grace is God's acceptance of us. Though we're sinners, God accepts us through Christ. Faith is our acceptance of God accepting us. We must, by faith, say, if God accepts me, I believe what the Bible says, I'm accepted in the Beloved. Therefore, I belong to him, but I don't feel worthy. Who does? Who does? I don't feel like I have earned it. Who can? By faith, accept that God accepts us. What a profound statement. What a good author he was. And here's one. Here's one. Maybe almost the last one. Quote, a healthy person can accept criticism. Ooh. A healthy person can accept criticism. Are you listening carefully? If you cannot accept criticism... Right or wrong, the criticism, if you can't accept it, the first response you have is, what? And you want to fight with somebody? You're like a young Adrian Rogers, what you are. <laughs> I was putting up the Dukes. Thankfully, he grew out of that. He got more spiritual. Grace, uh, a healthy person can accept criticism. People who are ultra-sensitive ultra cannot accept any kind of criticism. Do you know that part of the Bible mandate for preachers and pastors is to reprove, rebuke with all long-suffering? Do you know what that's about? That's about the preacher's job is to afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted. And that was taken from, of course, uh, another great preacher of another generation. I just talked about him last week. I forgot his name. Van Savner. Yes, Van Savner. And so a healthy person can accept criticism, which is very true if you think about it. If a child gets scolded and a child begins to fuss and make mean faces like, well, that shows that person not healthy. If an adult acts like that, that shows the adult's not healthy. That person could be a deacon, that person could be an assistant pastor, he could be anybody. And a healthy person is not overly sensitive. If the shoe fits, the saying is, I don't know who made that one up, but that's a good one too. If the shoe, we'll, we'll say, if the slipper fits, wear it. We'll say, if the, flip, if the sandal fits, wear it, okay? If the hat fits, wear it. All right, now one more on the Bible on the Bible. A quote on the Bible. Foolish people spend time and money poring over horoscopes and consulting so-called psychics trying to see the dark unknown. How much better to walk through life holding the hand of one of the one who knows the way and cares for us. Very true, Mr. Agent Rogers. Laws. Oh, let me just finish up with these without much commentary. 
There must be a law if there is to be liberty. You have to have structure. Along that line, he says, try to play the piano and you will run into laws. As fixed as the decrees of the Medes and the Persians. They will not be changed. But through these statutes, you reach the songs. Drudgery leads to delight. The law of Christ brings the liberty of Christ. Keep his statutes and they become songs. That is so good. Laws, rules must be had. They must be obeyed if you are to have something that is, that is good as a result. I can't imagine not running music theory and trying to be a musician. You know, one of the most famous groups in the 1960s, it was told about them, they could not read music and they didn't know how to write music, but they produced music. How is that possible? I guess it is possible because they did it. But you have to have order. Remember again the principle. We will never be over those things that God has set under us until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us. There is strength through surrender. There is strength through surrender. So quit fighting against the rules. Quit fighting against the law. Quit always whining about, well, come, I can't do that. Well, come, I can't do Well, because you can't, because it's very good. I know that it's not applicable for everything, but generally speaking, rules are good. I like speed limits, signs, most of the time. And I like signs that say, do not cross. I like, I like the youth sign. I like these things because it's for, I understand that. It's for safety. And I didn't like seatbelt laws when they first came out, but I think seatbelt laws are good. It does save lives. I think some laws are silly, ridiculous, out of date. But most laws that we have to comply with, even in our state, they're not for our our hurt. They're for our good and for our safety. So, and when it comes to the laws that I don't like or agree with, it's okay. There's no need for me to fuss about that because they're there for a reason, I suppose. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to obey the law. I'm going to obey the law. I'm not going to say, don't you know who I am? I'm just going to obey the law. Well, how come we have to have church at 930? Because that's just the way it is. Well, why do we make it at 830? Well, because we don't want to do it that way. Well, how can we have to have the Bible open all the time to come to church? Because that's the law. We come to church, we open the Bible, we read, we study, we pray, we preach. That's what we do. We sing, worship God with our hymns. That's what we do. Well, how come... Well, how come we don't have this and that? Well, because we don't. Well, I don't like that. Well, I, I guess the saying would come into play, you can't please everybody because you really can't. It's really funny how we are, but it is the truth. And uh, yet you have to go by something that you're convicted about and just carry it out. So, um, Mr. Adrian Rogers quite the ministry he had that God gave to him and quite the man in character and integrity and quite the writer too. We're so happy that things of his ministry is in print and we benefit from them as we did Spurgeon and Ben Sapner and there's plenty more, A.W. Tozer, many others that we can lean from but uh, we can't handle too much sugar, you know. Too much sugar will make you sick. All right.
We need to pray. Thank you, Lord, for letting us uh, be here tonight for prayer and for singing in, for worshiping you, and for looking at your word for just a little while. We pray for your blessings as we dismiss for tonight. We ask already for a good Sunday, a good church service, good day in the Lord's house. We pray that you help us. We're preparing for lessons, messages, that you help our minds to be focused on Sunday already. And we pray for people to come, to learn, to grow. And we ask you, Father, to be with people who are sick, help them to get over it soon as it is possible. In the meantime, watch over them, take care of them. And we pray for people this week in our church that will be going to the doctors and people who have different needs. We pray that you take care of all of those needs as only you can. We thank you for letting us be here tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.